if you've been here the last few weeks, then you're familiar with what we've been doing. Two weeks ago, I gave a message on the uh, new start, how to have a new start for a troubled heart. And the message had to do as a timely message because uh, it was just within one week. We've had three uh, members or former members uh, go on to glory. And so there's a, a buzz going uh, all throughout the church. And so I, I thought it would be a good idea for us to just take a look at how to deal with the tough times when tough times uh, happen, happen to us. The scripture that we read is found in John chapter 14. We just looked at John 14 verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then I got to thinking, because it's in that same passage of Scripture, to continue that thought for two more weeks, this is the last week, where we took a look at the four gifts from the Father. Because in that same chapter, in John chapter 14, you see outlined four gifts that the Bible says that God has given to every single person who is a believer. If you're a Christian, if you've had that born-again experience with Christ, then these four things are laid up, they are stored up just for you and just for me. And last week, we looked at the first two of those gifts. Well, today we're going to look at the remaining two gifts of, of the, uh, that the Father has to give us. You will find these in John chapter 14, so you can take your Bible and and turn your Bible to John chapter 14. And it's going to be verses 16 through 24. Now, when I was little, I don't know, uh, maybe some of y'all had this same thing happen. But when I was little, once in a while, I would get a message from my dad that when he came home, he had a surprise for me and my, my little brother. And... Um, I remember when I would hear, now I would also hear when I got, when I come home, I got something for you too, because it was a spanking that I well deserved. But those few times when he said, hey, I got a surprise for you when I get home. I loved those times, because those times when I would hear that when my dad got home, he had something, a gift, a surprise. And we would be so excited to find out or to know, well, what was it? And when he would get home, it didn't matter how late it was, we were up. Because we knew Dad was bringing us something, and it was such a fun time. Maybe you've had a dad or a mom that has done that same thing to you. Well, if you take that, that image, if you take that memory of how much fun that was, how exciting that was, how you felt during that time, this passage here today identifies our Heavenly Father doing no less. God Himself also has gifts, things in store for His children. It's the same concept. It's, it's the same point. It's the same thing. Now, some things, we do not know what it is we're going to receive until we get to glory. There are some things that the Bible says that's going to be bestowed upon believers that we will not know what they are until we get there. Now, there's other things 
we do know for a fact that is in store for the believer. And in John chapter 14, we get to read about four of those things that are spelled out and clarified that is laid up for you and for me that one day. And that's what we're going to look at. The first two things that we saw that are a part of that gift, those gifts that God has in store for all believers, the first two things that we see is the Father's house, that's in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, your future retirement plan is going to look pretty good. When you get to the Father's house and you see the room that Jesus himself has been preparing for you since the foundation of this world began, it's going to look pretty good. We see that the Father has his house in store for us. And then the second thing that we saw is we not only receive the Father's house, we receive the Father's Son. We get Jesus. And when I said it last week, I'll say it again. Heaven is more than a place. It's a person. We get to be with Jesus. I mean, we get to really be with him. We know he's real, but we don't see him. We get Jesus. Oh, he's very real, and he'll be very real when we see him because it won't be by faith anymore. It'll be by sight at this time. We're gonna, we get Jesus. We get Jesus, and we get his house. Well, today we're going to take a look at the last two things that we get. In John chapter 14, verses 16 through 24, this is what we read. It says, Jesus was talking, and Jesus said this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you, and you will be in him. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me. Because I live, you shall live also. In that day, you shall know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Now Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, that's a really interesting passage because he lines out two very distinct things, two more things that is in store for all of us. The third gift that we find awaiting for us is the Father's helper. It's the Father's counselor. It is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is known by all these titles and more. 
But we get the Father's counselor. Now keep this in mind too, especially if you weren't here last week. Jesus knew that the disciples were afraid. The reason why we have this discussion, this this context right here, is because of the fear that had fallen down on the disciples. He was literally hours from being arrested, and then we know everything else that happened to him after that. And knowing that the disciples were terrified, Jesus took time out from setting his sights, focused on the cross, all that it was about to happen with that, to comfort his disciples. They were afraid, and that's putting it lightly. They were distressed. They were anxious. They were very confused. Jesus kept talking about a place that he was going to be going away, and you cannot come with me. And they're thinking, what does that mean? They have been with him every day for three years, and now he's going away. And while this did not make sense, you know, when we read this, we get the luxury of seeing and looking back on what it all meant. But at the time it was delivered, he might as well have been speaking in another foreign language to them. They didn't catch anything. But you wouldn't either. Neither would I. They didn't understand anything that the Lord had to say. Nothing. And it didn't make sense to them, but he told them, Nonetheless, I'm not going to leave you alone. You're not going to be alone. I will not leave you as an orphan. He was leaving them because he knew that in leaving them, they were going to get something much bigger and much more powerful because of the manifestations of the, of the things that they would be able to experience and that was the Holy Spirit. Now, it's human nature to want to cling to the tangible. To have someone there is to feel like security. But Jesus was making it clear at this moment, at this time to the disciples, there is something greater than I that is coming to you. And that's because of what God had in store for those disciples. And not just those disciples, it's for all of us here. 2,000 years later, here we are, and we are still reaping the gift of what was given to us when Jesus left and sent the Father's Counselor to us. Jesus said in John 14, 16, you'll see it on the slide, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. You know, the Holy Spirit would now reign on earth and would be given to the disciples and to us. The Holy Spirit is often referred to as our counselor. Other times you'll read he's referred to as our comforter. There is great comfort in knowing that in times of great distress you have a counselor to help you. There is none wiser than the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Did you hear about the guy who asked a lawyer? He went to a lawyer for advice, and he said to the lawyer, he said, do you give free consultations? And the lawyer said, yes, I do. And the man replied, well, how long do they last? And the lawyer said, you just had it. 
The good news with the Holy Spirit, you can go to Him anytime, all the time, and you can talk to Him, and it is free of charge. Why? Because Jesus paid your bill. Because Jesus already paid your debt. You can talk and talk and talk and talk to Him, and He wants to hear from you. How many of you all know someone in this room that loves to talk? How many of you are sitting next to someone in this room that loves to talk? Some of you are not raising your hands, and that is a good move. I want you to look at this slide up here on the screen. Theologian John Phillips. I want you to check out what he had to say. Because, man, he goes deep. But it's really good. This is what he had to say. He said, take note what Jesus is saying. And I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Which, of course, he did. He ascended on high. He sat down at God's right hand in heaven. And ten days later, on the day of Pentecost, on the day foreordained by all the prophets of old, the Holy Spirit came in a new and a unique way. He came to baptize believers into the church, which is called the mystical body of Christ. He came in order to inaugurate a new day, a new beginning, a new age, a new way of doing things that will run from Pentecost all the way to rapture. One characterized by this unprecedented baptizing work of the Holy Spirit of God. You know, the Holy Spirit is also referred to as our advocate. Did you know that? That word advocate, it literally means one who comes alongside. Now, what does that say about God? What does that say about the Holy Spirit? When He comes to us, He comes alongside. I don't see Him, but He's here. Stop and think about this. In this room right now, the real genuine presence of the Holy Spirit is here. You brought him with you when you walked in these doors today. Now let that just sink in for a moment. If he is alongside, if he is our counselor, he's here right now. He's here. God got an invite to church today and he showed up the minute you walked in those doors. Is that not about the coolest thing you could think of? He is always with you. What did Jesus himself say? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why? Because his Holy Spirit is right there with you. Right there. He's here right now. And when he says something, he means it. You can bank on it. You know, the philosophy of this world, we know what it is. Seeing is believing. And that is why the majority of the people of this world will not enter into his glory, nor will they experience the salvation that he has to offer, because in their minds, there's another way to get there. And we know that is not the case. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And there's a reason why he said that. He is reliable. The Holy Spirit is trustworthy. He is never false. It's impossible. 
And Jesus told the disciples as well many remarkable things in this passage. But it is evident from the nature of the questions that they were asking Jesus, their minds were blown. They didn't understand a word that was coming from his mouth. And for that reason, it was pointless for Jesus to go on and to define and to roll out other things that they wanted to know. Why? Because they weren't even grasping the elementary things that he was laying out for them. But we can't blame them for that because we would be in the same boat. And when you think about that, that's an interesting thing for us to keep in mind, especially at times in our life, when we too are under great distress or something really happens to wake us up. And when those times happen, we got questions, don't we? We got a lot of questions. And a lot of times we will form those questions kind of as a missile as we throw back at God. Why did this happen? Where were you at? This makes no sense to me. I thought you loved me. And on and on and on, we throw those missiles. And right here was one of those times, and Jesus didn't answer all the questions they had. Why? Because they couldn't even comprehend anything. And I think that as we remember this, it's important for us to remember as well that if we believe what we believe about the nature of God and who He is, what He is like, that when those times come when we are demanding of answers, maybe, there is, maybe those are times we don't get those answers because we're not at the point where we're going to understand what He's doing. Now that's easy to say right now. But we're all going to have those moments when. And when it happens, it's really important to not lose sight of the nature of the person and the character of who God is and the one that we profess our allegiance to in obedience. We struggle to know things just like they did. We want answers just like the disciples wanted answers too. But Jesus only gave them what they could slightly, hopefully comprehend. And they weren't comprehending it at all at that moment. But it became crystal clear to them on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to look at that. You know, the Holy Spirit is known by us because He lives in us and around us, Jesus says right here. He is not a stranger, but He is a friend to every single believer. The mystical relationship was made good on the day of Pentecost. That is the day when the Bible says the Holy Spirit entered and came upon the disciples. And when he enters a believer, the Bible makes it very clear he is there to stay. He does not leave. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm Baptist. I'm saying it because I read my Bible. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear what it means to have the Holy Spirit in you. You know, in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, it's in your bulletin, uh, chapter 1, verses 21 through 22, the Bible says, Now he, this is Paul writing, now he says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts, 
as a pledge. The moment you accepted Christ, the moment you prayed and you said, Lord, I cannot get into heaven on my own. I need Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that Jesus died to take my wrath and my pain, my separation. And I believe he took my place. And for that reason, I just want to surrender all that I am and all that I have and all that I can to Jesus. Because if I don't have Jesus, I'm not getting in. The moment you did that with Christ, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came into your life and you were sealed. Now, what is the purpose of a seal if you can lose it? Robert Jeffries, pa uh, pastor of First Baptist, uh, First Baptist Dallas, um, had this to say, and this is really good. Um, he said, what is the significance of a seal that can be continually removed and reapplied? What does it really seal? Well, here's my question to you. What would it seal? You know, in all denominations within the Christian faith, there's going to be differences in opinions on certain things. This is one of those where, sadly, a lot of people will get wrong. And the reason being is because of the obvious. Now, we're going to think physically and we're going to think spiritually, two different things. Because that's the reason why there's so much confusion. The moment a person becomes a believer, is converted, as the Bible says. When God does the spiritual operation on your heart and His Son comes to reside with you and the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, you are sealed. Your standing with God is fixed forever. You're heaven-bound, even though you live on this earth. But the state of your existence from day to day will change. Your standing with the Lord is, is fixed. But daily, your state changes. Why is it you could go to bed at night and you've had a great day? I mean, you've had a wonderful day, okay? The Chiefs won, so you're excited. You're in good health, the things that matter now. You're in good health. Uh, you're, everything is good with your family and whatnot. You can go to bed. What is it? Why is it that you can go to bed and you can wake up sometimes the next day? All you did was sleep. You're not a happy camper. Something happened. Did the dog take too much of the bed and you didn't sleep real good? What happened? Was it a bad dream? What happened? And that's just how it is with us physically. That is also how it is with us spiritually. We're going to make some bad decisions at times. You know why you're going to do it? Because you're a human and you are guaranteed to mess up. You're going to sin. Spiritually speaking, our state will change. We are in this process of growing, as the Bible says. Paul's the one who said the very thing I don't want to do, I do it. And we're the same way. The Bible makes it clear that when the Holy Spirit comes in to reside in us, our life is changed. 
and we are sealed. And now we live in this time where our goal is to be more and more like Jesus. And that just comes through a lot of trial and error. But the more ground that we yield to God, the more the Holy Spirit takes control of our lives. You know, the Bible says that you were baptized into the Holy Spirit the moment you became a born-again believer. And now your job and my job when we get up is to walk with Him. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's when Baptists start running. Because we, we know, well, I know what I, what I think of when I hear that. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, scripturally speaking, what does that mean? That means you're living on the power of God in your life to control you and to move you and to cause you to do the things that would be pleasing to God because you're controlled by Him. Why? Because you're being filled by Him. If you're not filled by the Holy Spirit, then you're going to be filled by you. And all the problems that you will allow yourself to bring into your life that will just screw things up. That is why we are told daily to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when we're filled in the whole, with the Holy Spirit, then we're going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And that's a good place to be. Uh, we need to remember, too, that with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, you'll see this one up on the screen, we also have the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, or, um, in living inside of us is a real person. It's a spirit, but it's a real person. Paul said to the church of Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 30, he said this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you were sealed with until the day of redemption. That is worth rem uh, remembering that next time you are tempted to do something that you know is wrong. Keep that in mind. And Jesus also said that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that he would remind us of all these things. Now, remember that. That is really important. Those words, these things. And you're going, why is that important? The apostles were able to remember these things, but they didn't have a Bible. It wasn't there. They didn't get to carry their Bible. So how are they to remember the words of Christ, these things, and they didn't have a tape recorder. It wasn't written down in Scripture. But God brought it back to their memory when they needed it, and he even took it a step further which leads us to the fourth gift that the Father has given us that we find in this passage, which is the Father's book. It's the Father's book, and we find it in this chapter. God loved you so much that some of you came in to this church building today, and you have the Father's book just sitting right there. We see here in this verse... Verse 24, if you'll take a look at verse 24, I'll just read it to you. It says this, Jesus said this, He who does not love me does not keep my words. What's his words? That's what we find written right here. And then he says, And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. But the Father who sent me. It's interesting. 
In this reference, Jesus endorsed what we now have as the Gospels because he said, He shall bring all things to your remembrance. And then, I want you to notice this too, he alludes to the epistles. What are the epistles? That's all the letters of Paul in the New Testament. The majority of the New Testament are the epistles. And he alludes to those epistles, and they have yet to be written. It's coming in the future, not long after he said this, but he alludes to it when he said the words, he shall, talking about the Holy Spirit, he shall teach, he shall teach you all things. The epistles of Paul are written for our instruction, every single one of them. The letters of Paul are written to teach us the how-tos uh, as we think about our relationship with God, uh, how we conduct the workings of the local church, and so on and so on. Uh, John Phillips, he also stated this. You'll see this up, up above too. He said this, The Holy Spirit was coming to quicken faith and to write a book that would be the objective and infallible depository of the New Testament truth for God's people for all the rest of time. That is a great comment. But boy, I could never quote that on my own. <laughs> he goes a little bit deep. But how true that is. You know, Jesus said, These words you hear are not mine, but they belong to the Father who sent me. Well, you know, Paul took this, a this just another step further a little bit later when he said in 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, you'll see this on the screen, all Scripture... All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This was probably pinned to paper by Paul within that window of 30, 35 years after Jesus gave us this original statement right here. And the Bible you need to look at it as God's love letter to you and to me. It's God's love letter. Everything you want, you want to know about God, it's right here. And there's a whole lot more about God we don't know because remember in the Gospel of John, it was told to John. John made the comment. Uh, many more things that Jesus did that were not recorded, for if they were, even all the books of the world could not contain the things that Jesus did. Jesus was busy in those 33 years. But the reason why this is God's love letter to you and to me is because these are His words. These are His words. 1 Corinthians 2, 12-13, it's in your bulletin, says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. And here's the best part right here. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Did you hear about the, the preacher who spotted an old friend named Nathan? Nathan was drunk. He was dressed in rags. 
just a total disgrace. He asked Nathan one day, this preacher, he said, what happened? You used to be rich. You used to have your act together. Things were moving along. Great. What happened? Nathan told a sad tale of bad investments, and it led to his downfall. The preacher told him, I got a plan. Go home. Go home. Take out your Bible. Open it up at random. Stick your finger down on the page, and there will be God's answer. So sometime later, preacher was out and about. He's walking along, and he bumped into Nathan. And Nathan was wearing a Gucci suit, sporting a Rolex watch, and he just stepped right out, out of, a, uh, of a Mercedes. He said to Nathan, he said, well, I'm glad to see things really turned around for you. Nathan said, yes, preacher, and I have you to thank for it. He said, I took your advice. I went home, I opened the Bible, I put down my finger on the page, and there was the answer. It's chapter 11. It was chapter 11. Okay, it, uh, then uh, that's good. That was a joke that just went down the toilet. <laughs> Take that off. Chapter 11 is when you declare bankruptcy, in case you are unaware of chapter 11. Whew. I even used the name Nathan, thinking that would sell the deal. Well, you know, Jesus began this chapter by addressing those with troubled hearts. What is the best solution for a troubled heart today? If you have a troubled heart today, what is the best answer? What is the best solution for you? Is it not what you can find in God's Word? Here's what I want to do. Let's play a game real quick. I know this one will be safe. Okay? Here's, we're going to play a game. If this is you, you're going to raise your hand, okay? When I read a few things. If you've done this, put your hand up. Now, my wife's not here. She's, she'll be driving back tonight from Austin. And uh, so I don't want her raising her hand because she says she's going to listen to this on the car driving back. But for those of us who are here, raise your hand if this has ever applied to you personally, okay? Here we go, thinking about God's word for a troubled heart. How many countless funerals were made bearable for you because of the words that are found in this book right here? Maybe it was even John chapter 14. What about John chapter 14? I can read it a hundred times and every time it grabs me. All right, how about this? How many of you have gone to sleep underneath the surgeon's anesthesia and you quoted a chapter or a verse. Have you ever done that? How many depressed and despairing have gained the strength to carry on because of the promises found in this book? How many have found the hope of salvation and a purpose for living because of what we find in this book? The answer is countless millions. Millions. Because it's not just a book that 
a bunch of guys got together and decided to write, and then it was collected, and then it was formed, and then became a bestseller. It's not what this is. It's the divinely inspired Word of God because it came from the mouth of God. You know, James Dobson wrote, and this is really, really good. He said, my dad, my dad loved me. I've known that from my earliest moments of awareness. I'm told that when I was a small child, perhaps three years of age, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment. My little bed was located beside the bed of my parents. Dad said it was not uncommon during that time for him to awaken at night and to hear a little voice whispering, Daddy, Daddy. And he would answer quietly, what do you want, Jimmy? And then I would reply, hold my hand. My dad would reach across the darkness, and he would reach for my little hand, finally engulfing it in his. He said, every time, every time that happened, instantly my arm would go limp, and my breathing would become deep and regular. I had gone back to sleep. You see, the only thing I wanted to know at that time was that he was there. And the same thing goes for us here today. In troubled times, the only thing you're going to want to know is that God is there. That's it. You're not thinking about anything else. You just want to know that God is there. We need to sense His hand, and we would do well to remember that He would not only, and will not only give us His hand, He's going to give us so much more. In fact, we find here four gifts that God has given to every single one of us. He has given us the Father's house. The Bible says He has given us the Father's Son. And then we receive the Father's counselor and comforter. And then he made sure that we got a copy of the Father's book. He just wants us to look to him and obey. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. All that simply means if you are a true believer then you're going to live by a higher principle. And that principle is what he asks of us, not what we want to do on our own. He's given us those four things. And today, all he asks in return is that we would give him our hearts. He's given us so much than we deserve, but he's never asked us to be deserving all he has asked us to do is to be obedient. So today, I want you to pray, and I want you to ask God to search your heart and ask God, what part of my life do you need me to yield to you today? Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. And God, we want to thank you again for the time that we have to come together to be in this place and to be able to hear from you. And Lord, as we come before you this morning, we just want to thank you for what you have done for us, as if going to the cross was not enough. 
Jesus, I know that there are those sitting here today and, and they're not really sure where they would go if they were to die, spiritually speaking. Well, God, you've solved that. And I just want to pray and ask God that you would encourage them maybe to come down and to speak to any one of the ministers and we can, we can help them with that. They can leave here today and their life is radically changed forever, sealed forever. Lord, I just want to pray that for those who are here today, and God, maybe they have a troubled heart. Lord, I just want to ask that you would just help them in giving them the direction and the wisdom that they need to know what to do now, this next chapter that's uh, happening in their life. Father, we just want to come before you today, and we just want you to know, we know, Lord, that you are here. God, we are here, and Lord, we want to hear from you. I pray, God, this week, you would help us all to remember the gifts that you have given us and the importance of us to remember those gifts as we live out our life for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.